Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. In our lives and being faithful, Father, to deliver the goods. You do provide, Father, and you do deliver answers to prayer. I thank you, Father, that uh, you have opened up the door for us to walk through. I pray that uh, we would be uh, gracious and humble to see your hand move in our lives, Father, and that we would be patient to allow you to do the things that need to get done, Father, in our lives. Do a beautiful work, Father, as only you can. Uh, Father, we thank you. We praise you. I pray you'd be here tonight, Father, open our hearts and our minds to see your truth and your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are in the middle of 2 Kings, and in really 2 Kings is continuing a story from 1 Kings, and i got to just catch everyone up to date for where we are with this because it's real powerful. We saw that there was a, a, a mighty man of God named Elijah. Elijah uh, butted heads with the wicked queen Jezebel. Jezebel was somebody that was trying to bring in, invoke, uh, the worship of Baal, idolatry, uh, breaking of the number one commandment, right? No idols. You'll have no other gods before me. You will not have any molten images or graven images. And she, the queen of the king of Israel, was bringing in idolatry. Elijah, a man of confrontation, didn't mince his words, uh, challenged him to a showdown, said, I'll tell you what, we'll put a sacrifice on one hill and I'll put my sacrifice on another hill and whoever can call down fire from heaven. Let's see the real God show up. If this Baal is worth anything, let's see if he can call down fire from heaven. And the 400 prophets run around and they're screaming and yelling and they're slicing themselves and saying, come on, Baal, come on. And Elijah's over there laughing at him, mocking him. And then finally Elijah says, okay, God, show up. Bam. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice. And at this point, you think Elijah's got to go, yeah, everyone's got to understand. Jezebel's going down. My God can call down far from heaven. And at which point, we said Jezebel, the wicked woman that she was, she didn't blink an eye. She just turned around and got madder and madder. And she said, I'm going to kill you for this. And at which point, we saw Elijah turn around and fall apart. He became emotionally distraught. He was suicidal he says I can't handle this God I'm no better than anyone else if I just gave it my best shot and if that doesn't work then nothing works and he wanted to quit he says I'm the only one left I'm the only one that cares and it was important to note that we could see in Elijah a pattern of spiritual pride that was building uh, he had a disdain for the other prophets he said, I'm the only one that's left. And this other guy, Obadiah, whatever his name was, was turning around saying, I got a hundred guys hidden in a cave that are prophets of God. And he still says, I'm the only one left. I don't respect you at all. We saw that he turned around and could mock the Baal worshipers. And his mockery was there in laughter. And it's a, just a hint of spiritual pride. And then when you see that there's that much of a collapse in somebody, we taught that their foundation's not in Christ, in, you know, in, in God. Sorry, Jehovah, this is pre-Christ. And yet, he cried out 
And he says, I just can't handle it. And God came up to him and said, I want you to do three things, Elijah. If you do these three things, I'll take care of all your problems. Jezebel, that wicked wench has got to go down hard. So the three things were he was supposed to make Hazel, king of Aram, the enemy. Strange thing for a prophet of Israel to go to the enemy and say, you're now going to be anointed king and he does that and we said Hazel comes in as a hammer and creates this huge problem he's going to be ripping and tearing Israel to pieces and it's going to force Israel to get closer to God he's going to then uh, replace Elisha to replace him Elijah and the message there was to say uh, Elijah you're replaceable you, you got some spiritual pride don't think that the kingdom of God is going to blink an ounce without you you're a great man of God, but you're replaceable. Heavy lesson there. And then we watched the third thing that Elisha ends up doing because Elijah didn't even do the three things that was asked to him in the midst of his depression. God says, I want you to do these three things. And then finally, we're going to see, we want Jehu to be king. Jehu is going to become the king over Israel. And Jehu is going to be the man that does the job. Can't help but love this guy. He goes, the prophet comes in, throws some oil on his head, says, thus says the Lord, you're made king. He goes out to his guys, his buddies that he's playing cards with. And he goes, what was that all about? He says, oh, they wanted me to be king. So all the guys goes, that's right, you're king. And so he marches with a vengeance. He says, I'm the new king of Israel. This is what God wanted me to do. I didn't ask for this. God told me. This prophet comes up, throws some oil on me, makes me king of Israel. And Jehu comes screaming out to uh, the battle scene where we're watching the king of the north and the king of the south who were together to come against uh, Hazel, the Arams, Arameans. Battles ensuing, both of them there. One of them's Joram is wounded and they go off to the battle side and Jehu comes up to both of the kings, kings of Judah, king of Israel, puts an arrow right through their heart and kills them both on the spot. He's a man that gets the job done. Jehu, we're going to read the rest of the story. He's fulfilling the prophecy that God said, Ahab is not going to get away with this. Jezebel is not going to get away with this. And as Elijah cried out and said, nobody cares, God is saying, yes, someone does. If these three things happen your problem will be eradicated. And so there's a huge lesson in obedience. When God comes up and he speaks something to you, you have to obey. If we want the, the disease left from us, we have to be obedient to the Lord, submit to him, and God delivers every single time when we submit ourselves to him. And we watch the prophecy because there was this v field that Naboth had, and we said this was a type of Israel, this piece of property. It was in the valley of, importantly, I don't want to give you too much information and confuse you, but it was in the valley of Jezreel, J-E-R-Z-E-E-L. Pronounce that how you want, Jezreel. We said Jezreel was this plush, beautiful piece of property. And I would imagine if they talked about the grapes that were the size of your head or whatever it is, that that's where they were. It was the heart of the promised land. And this guy Naboth had this vineyard, 
And Ahab married to Jezebel, looked across and said, I want that vineyard. Your garden's nicer than mine, so I want it. God comes up, or uh, Ahab comes up and says, can I have that? And he goes, no, this is my inheritance. This is my, everything that I am is invested in this piece of property. I'm not selling it to you, the king. So he goes home, the king goes home and cries, and the wicked queen Jezebel comes up. And she says, what are you crying for, king? You're the king of Israel. You can take any piece of property you want. Watch how simple this is. And she turns around and throws a big party, invites Naboth to it, the guy who owned the vineyard that her husband, the king, wanted. She hires some worthless guys to come up and say, yeah, I heard Naboth blaspheme. That's what it is. And blasphemy is punishable by death. You don't ever insult Jehovah. So Naboth, who had his little piece of property, was a good little guy. Jezebel, who could care less about Jehovah, the God of Israel, she goes up and kills this guy for using the name of Jehovah in vain or blaspheming it. She kills the guy. And then Ahab goes dancing over to the vineyard and says, look at this, I got the vineyard. Little Queen Jezebel, whew, she knows how to pull one over. And that's when Elijah came up and said, you are not going to get away with it. You're not going to get away with this. God is not going to allow you to murder and take possession. And lo and behold, the prophecy was given that Ahab and Jezebel would die on that piece of property in the valley of Jezreel in Naboth's vineyard and all of Ahab and Jezebel's kids would be extinguished and killed. And God said, your seed is not going to continue on the face of this land. Elijah comes up and says, you're not going to get away with this. So we watched Hazel was now made king. We watched Elisha now starts to take over for Elijah. And now Jehu comes in. And we watched last week, if you were with us, he goes up and slaughters that wicked queen Jezebel. Rips her down from the roof, tramples all over with the horses, and just cremates this girl. There's nothing left besides a skull and a few handprints left of her. And they go, we can't even bury anything here. And at this point, you could just hear Elijah from the grave going, yeah, 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 that's my man Jehu. He did the job. Vengeance is coming back. And it's a beautiful story. If you could piece, you know, 8, 10, 12 chapters of the Bible together, you're seeing pain and suffering, and you're watching vindication. And Jehu is now coming in, and he's saying, according to the word of Elijah, I am killing you. I didn't ask to do this. This isn't me and my petty vengeances. This is me fulfilling the word of God, ripping your head off. You go, ooh, I like this guy. This guy kills with a vengeance, and he's cleaning house. Now, bear with me. Listen to the whole sermon here. Don't get up and walk out in the middle. Promise? Okay. Let's go to chapter 10. 2 Kings chapter 10. Now, Ahab... Ahab and his little beautiful bride of Jezebel had 70 sons. He was a rather prolific man. He had 70 sons in Samaria. And Jehu, now after killing Jezebel, Ahab had already died in battle earlier. 
uh, not even through Jehu, but he is already dead. So Jezebel is now dead, and he's going to write some letters, and he sent them to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel, the elders, and the guardians of the children of Ahab. So every kid, when they were growing up, if you're a king's kid, you would be mentored, you'd be trained by an elder, a leader. And it's very powerful if you understand the culture. Uh, this isn't anything that we would ever comprehend in our own culture. But it was definitely during the days of Herod. And the practice back then throughout this time was that if, uh, let's say I'm a king. And uh, I had uh, four states that I controlled. And I would want to have a ruler in each one of the four states that I governed as king. The common practice, common, would be that uh, I want to make you the leader of state one, someone else the leader of state two, and so So I'm coming up to you and I say, you want to rule state one, I'm going to give you power and authority, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your child and I'm going to raise him myself. Your boy is so cute. So you go over there and run. You can be my governor of state one and send your kid over to me. I'll watch him for you. Send your daughter over here. I'll watch him for you. It was just a common practice. You want to rebel and have a revolt and break your little state away from my kingdom? Uh, Johnny may not sleep through the night too well. I'll kill him. And so the sons, if you would have lots of sons, you'd always want to have an heir. You'd want to stop against people killing certain things. You want the heir to survive. A lot of kids help you out. You want to take your children. You want to diversify them into different areas. And it was a common practice. There's a lot of people that are, you know, raising up these things. So there's 70 kids scattered throughout the country. That was one of the things if I'd really like to get into. It's interesting, Herod, when Herod was there with Jesus and what Herod had done with his sons and his wives, and Herod ended up killing his sons, and then he was slaughtering his sister's sons that were supposed to be this way. Herod was a basket case. But that was the practice. So his kids are scattered anyway. He wrote letters and sent them to Samaria, to the rulers, to the rules of Jezreel, right? To the elders, to the guardians of the children of Ahab, saying... And now, and so Jehu has taken over control. He's killed his mother. He says, and now, when this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, as well as the chariots and horses and fortified city and the weapons, I'll tell you what, I'm here to establish my claim as king. Select the best and fittest of your master's son, sons and set him on his father's throne and a fight for his master's house. So Jehu says, I just killed Queen Jezebel. Ahab's dead. Who thinks he's going to come up and take the throne from me? You got one of these boys running around here? We got 70 sons. You take your best one. You set him up for battle. I'm taking him on. Select the best and the fittest. Verse 4. But they feared greatly and said, eh. These are a bunch of punk kids, uh, spoiled brats. Behold, uh, the two kings did not stand before him. Jehu's already killed two guys that were already established kings. Uh, how then can we stand? I ain't up to the fight. And the one who was over the household and he who was over the city, the elders and the guardians of the children, sent word to Jehu saying, Hey, Jehu, 
We're on your side. <laughs> you got my vote. We are your servants, pal, buddy, old pal, best friend in the whole wide world. All that you say to us, we will do. You got it. We will not make any man king um, do what is good in your sight. So they're conceding. They're rolling over. And then he wrote letters to them a second time saying, if you're on my side and you will listen to my voice, take the heads of the men. Your master's son, cut him off. You bring the head to me tomorrow at Jezreel. Jezreel, the very valley that was so plush and so beautiful. You bring them tomorrow about this time. Now the king's son, 70 persons, were with the great men of the city and were rearing them. And it came about when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and slaughtered them. 70 persons and put their heads in baskets and sent them to him at Jezreel, fulfilling the prophetic word of God, slaughter and mayhem. When the messengers came and told him, saying, hey, they brought the heads of the king's sons, he said, put them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. I want everyone to see this pile of heads. You better let everyone know what they're messing with when they mess with Jehu. Now it came about in the morning that he went out and stood and he said to all the people, you are innocent. You just brought these kids' heads and you chopped them off. You're innocent in the matter. Don't, don't worry about this. Behold, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these kids? So you hear what he's saying? He's going, look, there's a lot of bloodshed going around. I just killed my master. You just killed your kids. You want to throw a rock at me? Why don't we all go home? <laughs> and everyone goes, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to yell at you. You can be king, even though you took it by conspiracy of stabbing your master in the back. We ain't going to say anything because we're all bloody together. We're in this together. Know then, uh, verse 10, know then that there shall fall to the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he spoke through his servant Elijah. That's the second time he said it. He says it back in verse 36 of chapter 9. He says, this is because of the word of Elijah. I find it amazing. Jehu is coming up and says, God told Elijah to hire me to do a job, and I did it. It's gory. It's ugly. Nasty job. I did my job. Isn't that always weird? I can remember when I was first getting saved and I heard a debate about capital punishment. And I was sitting in this kitchen with a, a couple Christians that were pretty mature in the Lord. And uh, they were going back and forth with their debate. And uh, whether or not, you know, we should have the death penalty. And both Christians presented very strong arguments. Very compelling and if you listen to one, you'd be convinced. Death penalty should be put away. You know, we need mercy and grace. Turn the other cheek, you know, da-da-da-da-da. We're not here to put people to death. And the other Christian would turn around and, you know, you've listened to him long enough, you'd be convinced. You know, God set it aside, you know, for capital punishment that an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The law still stands. And if you murder somebody, you need to be put to death. 
And, you know, I don't know where you want to stand on that issue. God bless you. But uh, the one guy who was, who was there said, you know, how can you have, if, if we're to have capital punishment, that means that somebody has to kill somebody else. There has to be an executioner, you know. Uh, how can there be an, a, a God-ordained, somebody has to sleep at night saying that they flipped the switch, they shot the guy, they did whatever, and, and it's a tough thing to go through to say, how do you kill somebody? And somebody has to be a God-given, ordained executioner. And this one guy said, well, yeah, people have that gift of the Lord. I heard that, and I go, well, I heard a prophecy in tongues, and you know, but God gave me the gift of executioner. <laughs> Now, I suppose, you know, if you think about that thought, there has to be somebody. I mean, even in the Old Testament, somebody had to go up. The community had to throw stones at everybody and kill them. But there were people that had to be an executioner. And I go, this Jehu, to me, you can't get around it. He sounds like he's God's given executioner. He's got the gift of execution. (laughs) And he's sitting down here slaughtering with mayhem everybody relentlessly. And it is important to note that this was the way God wanted it to be. God said, you will be slaughtered for what you're doing. He's hearing Elijah's prayer. And he even said by name, it's going to be Jehu. And Jehu comes up and says, I will slaughter. And he slaughters. Now keep listening with me. Don't give up on me yet. Uh, verse 11. So Jehu killed all who remained at the house of Ahab in Jezreel, that beautiful valley of that piece of property that he tried to steal, which God said, you're not going to murder and get away with it. And all his great men and his acquaintances and his priests until he left him without a survivor. He even killed priests. Then he arose and he departed to Samaria. And so he's marching back up to the capital city. And he says, And on the way, while he was uh, at uh, Beth-Ekid, wherever, someplace, of the shepherds, he's riding through the countryside. Jehu's got all this blood on his hands. He's marching back up to the capital. And Jehu met the relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah. Now, he just killed Ahaziah, right? If you were with us, that was one of the two kings he just killed with the bow behind the guy's back and just split the thing in heart, went right through his heart. And here are some of his relatives marching up there. And they don't think, they don't know what's going on with Jehu. And uh, he says, uh, Jehu met the relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and he said to him, who are you? And they answered, we're the relatives of Ahaziah. We're like royal people here. And Jehu's like, yeah, I got a lot of respect for royalty here. Uh, And we have come down to greet the sons of the king. Oh, we're here to visit family up here. And the sons of, and you got to dig this term here, queen mother. Now that just shows you. They're already calling. Now who's the queen mother of Samaria? Who would be there? That's the term that they used for Jezebel. Jezebel, just as we thought, when you see terms like this, the queen mother, we could see that she was the woman that was running this country, and she was a wicked, evil woman. And yet she was, God said, I want to have a king, not a queen. And it's the king 
that actually became sappy to the Jezebel. And Jezebel, after her husband died, still says, I'll tell my sons what to do. And as we suspected all along, she's the queen mother. You don't mess with Jezebel. And they're saying, hey, we're coming from the south. We're coming up here to visit. We wanted to see Jezebel, the queen mother. And you could just see <laughs> Jehu going, oh, <laughs> that's not the thing to tell me. <laughs> and he said, Take them alive. So they took them alive and killed them at the pit of Beth Echid. 42 men, and he left none of them. Slaughterhouse. And now when he departed from there, oh man, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. Stop. Does anybody know who this guy is? I'd offer $25, but Michelle would get it right. <laughs> that ring a bell with anybody? Ding, ding, ding. Jehonadab, son of Rechab. Ding, ding, ding. All right, I'll tell you who he is here. Let's finish the story. When he had departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him, and he said to him, so he meets this guy. He goes, is your heart right as my heart is with your heart? And Jonadab answered, oh, it is, Jehu. You got two guys that are wacko here. <laughs> Jehu's like, I just killed 42 guys. I just killed the queen. I just slaughtered everybody. I got blood all over the place. And he meets this guy, Jonadab, and he says, hey, buddy, are you with me? And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm with you, pal. Right? Jehonadab, uh, is your heart right as my heart is with your heart? And Jehonadab answered, oh, it is, Jehu. Uh, Jehu, if it is, give me your hand. And he gave him his hand, and he took him up into his chariot. And he said, come with me. This is Jehu. Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. I love God. I'm slaughtering everybody and having a party here. This is great. Jonadab, you with me? You like this? Yeah, Jonadab says, I do. You ride with me. You come and see my zeal for the Lord. Uh, so he made him ride in his chariot, verse 17. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria. So he continues slaughtering until he had destroyed him according to the word of the Lord which he spoke to Elijah. Third time that said. Then Jehu, <laughs> you got to love this. He ain't done yet. Jehu gathered all the people and he said to them, Oh, you know what, everybody in Israel? Oh, we know that Ahel, Ahab, you know, he was a great guy. He served Baal a little. But let me tell you, Jehu, Jehu, he's going to serve Baal. What? Baal? Jehu? Jehu is the guy who's killing everybody in the name of Jehovah? Baal, the idol? He's now coming up and he says, Ahab, you know that king that was married to Jezebel? They were just sissy worshipers of Baal. I'm going to be the biggest worshiper of Baal ever. You go, oh, that doesn't, Ahab served him a little. Jehu will serve him much. So verse 19, and now summon all the prophets of Baal, every single one of them, gather them together. All his worshipers and all his priests, let no one be missing, for I have great sacrifice for Baal. Throw a party. 
Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu did it in cunning in order that he might destroy the worshipers of Baal. So he's going to throw a party and says, get all the Baal worshipers together. And he's going to kill them all. And Jehu said, sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal. And they proclaimed it. And then Jehu sent throughout Israel and all the worshipers of Baal came so that there was not a man left who did not come. And when he went into the house of Baal, the house of Baal was filled from one end to the other. Packed house, revival meeting for Baal. And he said to the one who was in charge of the wardrobe, bring out garments for all the worship of Baals. Put them all in festive robes. So he brought out garments for them. And Jehu went into the house of Baal with Jehonadab, our buddy, the son of Rechab. And he said to the worshipers of Baal, search and see that there be none of you, the servants of the Lord. Hey, we don't want any of those Jehovah people around here. If you're a Jehovah person, you get out of here. Give them a fair warning. It says, search and see that there may be here with you none of the servants of the Lord, but only the worshipers of Baal. And they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. And now Jehu had stationed for himself 80 men outside. And he had said, the one who permits any of the men whom I bring into your hand to escape, you let any of these guys go, show them an ounce of mercy, I'll kill you. Shall give up his life in exchange. And then it came about as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard and to the royal officers, go in, kill them, let none come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword and the guard and the royal officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the house of Baal and they brought out the sacred pillars in the house of Baal and burned them. And they also broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and broke down the house of Baal and made (laughs) a latrine (laughs) to this day. (laughs) Everything flushes down to the house of Baal. (laughs) You got to love the guy. How can you not love this guy? Isn't Jehu your favorite guy? You go, man. He just, he's not putting up with sin. He's not stomaching nothing. He says, there's a job to get done. You know what? It's a little messy, but I'm going to do it. I'm not going to play what's politically correct. I'm not going to mince my words. I'm not going to try and not hurt anyone's feelings. Job needs to get done. I'm going to do it. And you go, go. (laughs) Love this guy. Make it a latrine. Thus, Jehu eradicated Baal out of Israel. However, then there's the however. Verse 29, as for the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin, from these Jehu did not depart. Even the golden calves that were at Bethel and that were at Dan. That's important. That was the thing that God had a... ...take over for him. 
the people came up to Rehoboam and said, Rehoboam, are you going to work us as hard as your dad did? Solomon built and built and built and built. Can we do something with our life besides be a construction worker here? And Rehoboam said, you think my dad worked you hard? I'm going to work you ten times as harder. If you resist me, I'm going to beat you with scorpions. And at this point, Rehoboam wasn't very smart. He went against the council of the elders. And at that point, we see this guy Rehoboam come up. Rehoboam says, this is several kings before. When Jeroboam says, man, you're way off, Rehoboam. We're splitting the country in half. And hence, that's what started the Civil War. Splitting of the nations between the north and the south. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And we saw that Jeroboam had a problem, though. Gee, we got a whole bunch of Jews split between the north and the south. I got my people that are Jews, you know, come, you know, Passover, come, you know, Feast of Tabernacles. They're all going to want to go down to the temple, which the south has. This stinks. I'm going to lose my kingdom because everyone's got to go worship Jehovah. So Jeroboam says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to create a couple idols, a couple golden calves, one to the north, one to the south of my northern kingdom. And so people can come and worship up here. We'll start a new priesthood. And he, even though God told Jeroboam to rip the country in half, he overstepped his boundaries and said, I'm going to create idolatry to keep the split in half. And God wasn't happy about that. He says, I want you to split the country, but I don't want you to start idolatry, you moron. What are you doing? And for the life of me, they kept these two golden calves till the country's destroyed. And it always upset God. Now Jehu comes on the scene. He rips out the Baal worship, but he doesn't touch the golden calves. Leaves that in place. And God's up in heaven saying, dude, you are the, you are the executioner. Why are you stopping at half the job? Couldn't you go out and get rid of these calves as well couldn't you clean house completely interesting point let's keep reading he says and the Lord said to Jehu verse 30 because you have done well in executing what is right in my eyes thank you for killing Jezebel and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart God wanted to see him eradicated your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. You're going to get a, a blessing to the fourth generation. I'm going to take care of you because you were faithful to the right degree. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with an important word, all his heart. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel sin, the golden calf thing. In those days, the Lord began to cut off portions from Israel. And Hazel, that wicked guy that he was, that Elijah, Elisha appointed, the king of Aram, defeated them throughout the territory of Israel. They're still going to be a weak country. They're not going to be living up to what they could be. And God is going to start to remove the blessings of the Lord from them. 
says, from the Jordan eastward, all of the land of Gilead, the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the Manassites from Arior, which is by the valley of Aaron, uh, even Gilead and Bashan. So they used to take all those countries that really Moses helped take them possess, and now the borderline is going to be the Jordan River. And you're going to find out that he's saying that's exactly where it is. So they lost all that extra territory that they had in Jehu's days. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu and all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the uh, kings of Israel, which we don't have? And Jehu slept with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria and Jehoaz, his son, became king in his place. Now the time which Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. So we're looking at Jehu. And to me, okay, he didn't do a perfect job. But you know, I look at Jehu and I go, I love the guy. He's my kind of Marine Corps, kind of get the job done. And I always loved him. Can't help but like the guy, can you? I, I hit a, 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 a bone of contention. Took away my love for Jehu. Turn to the book of Hosea. Now, this is a weird tie-in, right? So Hosea is one of the minor prophets, kind of stuck in there after Matt, before Matthew. Good luck in finding them. Hosea. Now, what do you think of when you think of Hosea? Anybody know what Hosea's distinguishing characteristic is? He was the guy that God comes up and says, Hosea, I want you to go and find a harlot and marry her. And everyone goes, I wish God would say something. <laughs> God doesn't say anything. I want you to go marry this, this woman of prostitution. Okay, God, I'll go check her out. I'm sure there's many a Christian man that says, God told me to be down here as he's caught with a prostitute, right? But Hosea, stranger than fiction, was a guy that uh, went out and married a prostitute, has a couple kids by her. She turns around, leaves him, and God says, you see how your heart is broken because you're married to a prostitute? And God's major point is, now you know how I feel when my people, Israel, go whoring after other gods. It's like, you're my bride, Israel. You've deserted me. And God comes up to Hosea and starts to speak to him. Very interesting. Now, if you've been with us on Sunday, this is really weird how this all ties together. But let's go with chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Hosea, the son of Berai, during the days of who? Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, you guys on, you guys on, uh, um, came to Sunday? Exact same four kings. We just started Isaiah chapter 1 on Sunday morning. Exact same four kings that Isaiah was preaching towards. So Hosea and Isaiah, contemporaries, exact same time. Interesting tie-in. I thought that was weird. Exact same four names. He was preaching during that time, a long stretch of time. That's probably another 60-some-odd years. Hosea was a kingpin of the prophets. Now this is, I hate to bore all you guys with all these details, but if we have Ahab, Jezebel, right? So all these kings are yet in the future. This is another... 
80, 100 years into the future. So now Hosea is coming along. This is, uh, you know, past uh, Ahab and Jezebel. He says, so this guy comes up and he says, during the days of Jeroboam, this is Jeroboam the second, not uh, the uh, Rehoboam and the Jeroboam that we were just talking about, but another Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. He says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, says, go take to yourself a wife of harlotry. Go get a harlot and have children of harlotry for the land commits flagrant harlotry forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took that beautiful girl <laughs> named Gomer. <laughs> I don't know who would name their daughter Gomer, but we can't think of anything besides Gomer Pyle. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if there's any Gomers here. I don't mean to put you down. <laughs> Sorry. So he takes Gomer, the prostitute, and uh, Gomer, the daughter of uh, Diblam, and uh, she conceived and uh, bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, your first child and each of the child are going to have prophetic names. The Lord said to him, name him what? Jezreel. Now, what does Jezreel mean? Jezreel was that beautiful, plush, garden, state area. But the word itself means God sows. Plants, God's planting seeds. And so he's saying, I want you to name this one, first son that you have through this harlot, name her, name him, Jezreel. And he says, because of this, what I'm planting, if you would, is that I'm going to put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. So God says, have a kid. You're going to prophesy. This is a prophecy. You're going to, this is what I'm planting the seed that I'm planting is I'm going to kill Israel. You get that? God's saying, I'm going to wipe out Israel. Hmm? Jehu? No, 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 no. Verse 3. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Dibla, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, name him Jezreel for yet in a little while, then I will punish the house of Jehu. Right, sorry. Jehu, right? There's our character. That's why I'm here, sorry. That's why I'm in this text. I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now, I first read that, I cried. I go, What? What did Jehu do, my hero? You're going to destroy all of Israel for the sins of Jehu? And trust me, I looked over this text forward, backwards, upside down. And I couldn't believe it. I said, Hosea, I want you to prophesy that there's going to be a Jezreel, a sowing of the seed of destruction because of the sins of Jehu. That's my man. He did what was right. Now, wait a second, God. He didn't ask to become the butcherer. You sent Elijah with the flask of oil to throw it on his head. He didn't ask to become king. He didn't ask to go out and kill it. He was told to do it. He was faithful for doing it. And now, 100 years later, Hosea comes up and says, God's going to rip apart this country for the sins of Jehu. Jehu? That's not right. How about the sins of Ahab? I'll take that. It broke my heart. 
And it will come about on that day that I will break the bow. And interesting that he used his bow to slaughter the two kings, the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. The exact same valley. God is saying, I'm not happy. Job's not done. And then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, name her Lo-Rahamah. Something like that. Read it in your Bibles. For I was no longer... Uh, I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I should ever forgive them. Wow, God, that's rough. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah, the people to the south, and deliver them by the Lord their God and will not deliver them by the bow or sword, uh, battle, horses or horsemen. And when she had weaned, whatever it is, she conceived and gave birth to another son. And the Lord said, name him Lo-Amini, something like that. For you are not my people and I am not your God. God is saying, I've had it. You've crossed the line. You're going over the edge. And he's telling us it's because of the sins of Jehu. Jehu, my man. And yet God says, yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. So God's going to say, I'm going to bless the believers that are going to survive. They're going to be multiplied like never before. And it will come about that in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people. It will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Wow. Now, for us, we read that and we go, that's a quote. That's a quote in the New Testament. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel, verse 11, will be gathered together and they will be appointed for themselves one leader. And they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel, what God wants to sow. You know, I wish I could go through this whole thing. But why don't we just go to uh, chapter 2, verse 23. And he says, And I will sow her for myself. Sow her to be sown, to sow, to plant. That's Jezreel. There's a lot of play here on the word Jezreel, God's garden. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they will say, thou art my God. Now, we read that in the New Testament, and that's in Romans chapter 9, real quickly. And we don't have to turn there, but for the most part, <clears throat> if you're keen, that's a prophecy speaking that God is going to work through the Gentiles and is tired of working through the Jews. We read these prophecies and see the Bible's open to all of us because God is saying that the Jews miss something. The Jews miss their heart being totally devoted to the Lord while the Gentile, the new church, is supposed to be a church that's filled with the Spirit of God that is therefore able to have their heart right with the Lord. There's a lot of raw, a lot of really strong prophecies here. But we've got to learn the lesson of Jehu. And the lesson of Jehu is not to be filled with spiritual pride. The lesson of Jehu 
is not to do just what the Lord asks you to do, but there's something more. The lesson of Jehu is that being a man or woman of God is to have someone who has their heart solely, wholly devoted to God. It's a heart issue. It's not an action issue. You could be righteous with Jehu with the sword and kill every wicked bad guy out there. And God turns around and says, that doesn't impress me. God has always said, Old Testament and New, that if your heart's not with me, it doesn't matter what you do. Your heart has to be wholly devoted. And what did we say with Jehu? Jehu was someone whose heart was not wholly devoted. Turn with me to Jeremiah 35. Let's put another piece of the puzzle in there. Jeremiah 35, so this is another, you know, umpteen years into the future. Now, let's see if I'm doing this right. Jeremiah 35, verse 12. Now, let's start with uh, verse 1. Let's see where I am here. <clears throat> it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying... Okay, this is just towards the end before they're getting ready to collapse. Go to the house of the who? the Rechabites, and speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord, <clears throat> into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. This is one of those other great stories. Don't you wish God would say, bring everybody in here and give them all the wine they want, right? <clears throat> and then I took Jehaziah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Habaziniah, and his brothers and the sons of the whole house of the who? The Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hannah, into the sons of Igaladala, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officers, which was above the chamber of Maaseah, the sons of Shalem of the doorkeeper. So he's got to bring them into this room. And then I set before the men of the house of the Rechabites pitchers full of wine in cups. And I said to them, drink wine. But they said, we will not drink wine for who? <coughs> Jonadab, the son of Rechab. Now, who's that? That was the guy that when Jehu walked up and says, Is your heart like my heart, Jonadab, son of Rechab, whatever it is? And he goes, Oh, I am. So here's a little insight into this guy, Jonadab, right? Jehonadab, whatever his name is, it's close. Listen, he was somebody, and this was like uh, three or four generations after the fact, and he comes up and he tells his son, I'm a holy, righteous man. Nobody in this household. You could just see Joan Honadab. He was the king, the father, the pinnacle of his household. And he says, this is what we do in our house. Nobody in this house touches liquor. We don't drink. We're diehard, righteous people. And that's the nectar of the devil, that alcohol. I think that's your line, isn't it, Alethea? And you go, and he goes, we don't touch liquor, we don't do it. 
And so now, if you're keen, you're watching three or four generations where these guys were diehard saying, Grandpapa said, we don't drink. And we don't live in a house. We don't own houses. We live in tents. We're just nomadic people. And we're stubborn. And we do it just because of what Dad told us. Listen. So the story of, of Jeremiah is Jeremiah says, come on, drink, 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 come on. And these guys said, no, we won't do that. We got morals and our dad, grandpapa, told us not to drink and we don't drink. And Jeremiah turns around and says, good job. I'm glad you listened to your grandfather. And I wish, the whole point of Jeremiah would be, I wish Israel would listen to me the way that these people would listen to their grandpappy. Now, it's an interesting insight, though, of who this Jonadab guy is that Jehu finds peace with and says, is your heart like mine? You come up here and you ride with me. This is Jonadab now when he was a young guy. What made him such a stickler for the, uh, you know, we don't drink? No, he was pals with Jehu. And Jehu says, we kill people that don't agree with us. Now, watch what's happening here. It's important to develop the mindset of what's going on here in Jehu for my sanity because I love the guy and yet God says I'm going to rip the whole place apart because of him. And what God's really saying is he's saying, you know, you can be a real righteous dude. Maybe you're still married. Maybe you never drink. You know, the goal of Christianity is not to get people to be clean and sober. It's a good thing to be clean and sober. If you're going to be lost in the nectar of the devil, then it will rip you apart and destroy you. But understand, Christian, that's half the battle. Don't you dare for a second think that just because you're a goody two-shoes means that God is going to be completely satisfied with you. That's the message of Jehu. And I can look at my life and say, Lord, I don't smoke, I don't drink, and I don't, you know, hang around with girls that do or whatever you want to say. And there can be a sense inside of us of spiritual pride that can deceive us into really becoming an enemy of God. That makes sense? And that scares me. Because I do. I want to be like Jehu. I want to say, Lord, I want to serve you with a vengeance. I want to go all out. I don't want to compromise one bit. I see something that's wrong. I'm going to slice, you know, it to pieces. I'm going to stand up for righteousness. And, you know, and the Lord is saying, I I'm glad you're doing that. And there is a role for you to do that. But, Dave, do you love me? Do you have a personal relationship with me? Is your heart to sit down and to say, Lord, I love you, and I'm doing this really just because of you? Or do we do a lot of things to puff ourselves up with pride and really that very pride of spiritually correctness leads us into separation from God and God was saying he says I'll give you four generations for what you've done and then Hosea comes up after the fourth generation and says it's time to clean house because you know what you did good but you could have done so much more and when God looks at you as a believer, he looks at you and he says, you do good. I care about you. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. But if your heart is united with mine, you can do so much more. And that's the very core issue 
finish that one thought out now of Hosea, where Hosea, it says, Israel, you were coming and doing your Sabbath feasts. You were having your new moon festivals. You were doing all the great things. And if we would have went through Hosea chapter 2, we could have seen that even Hosea says the same thing that we saw in Isaiah chapter 1. Sorry to combine too many thoughts at once here. But just as we learned on Sunday, where God says, I'm sick and tired of your new moon festivals. I'm sick of you trampling my courts. Don't, please, don't sing another song. Because Israel, during the time of Christ, they were holy, righteous people. They said, we don't want to touch anybody to pollute the garment that we have. We want to be separated for the Lord. And yet they could turn around and watch the Samaritan in the ditch or it was the Samaritan who came along and helped that guy and says I'll be there to take care of you while the priest and the Levite and the Jew walked by and says we don't touch that they missed love and the message of Jehu is to say you could be a great slaughterer but if you're missing love just like the Jews God is going to move on to the Gentiles and try someone else and say I'll keep on moving till I find somebody that is going to respond to what love is. And we watch Paul quote these passages where he says, I've given up on the Jews, I'm going to the Gentiles. I've given up on the Jews, and I'm going to the Gentiles. And God is watching. He says, these are my people. I love them. And it's just like they're a whore and a harlot, and they're messing around on me, and my heart is broken. And God is saying, what is wrong? I care and I love. Just like in Isaiah chapter 1 where he's saying, come, let us reason together. See, it all ties together. It's kind of weird. And he says, I care and I love. And if you're going to miss up and pass up on the love of God, God says, I'm looking for someone else who has that heart towards me. Yeah, I don't care if you're sober. I don't care if you've never touched a drop. That doesn't impress God. That's not the goal of God in your life, to make you a righteous dude. Righteousness is great, but you've got to have that heart. Amen? Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.